Would you pray with me now? So Lord, this building herself is a reminder of the generations that have gone before us. And we are humbled and we are grateful to stand on such tall shoulders. shoulders. So we ask that you would make us faithful, that you would make us courageous, that you would make us wise and creative. So we think of the space that our children are in right now, the nursery area. We think of the babies from zero to two that we know and the volunteers who love them, who train them in receiving the love of God. We think of the kids we know who are two and three and four in the early childhood room. We thank you for them, their love of life and their creativity and their curiosity and their energy, what joy they bring us. We thank you for their teachers, volunteers who give their time and energy to teach and to love and to help form these precious kids of ours. We recognize, Lord, that in these two rooms, they're full. So we pray that you would give us wisdom, creativity, and discernment that we can serve our children well. Help them to truly know that they are valued and loved by our actions. We think of our elementary age kids that are downstairs right now for Pastor Hope and her team of volunteers that teach them faithfully every week. How we love them, how they teach us. We pray, Lord, that they would know your love while they are here in this space and in the relationships created in this space. And we also think of the many things that happen in that community room in this sanctuary and on this property. Things like weekly workspace for the Uncommon Collective and events for the Sparrow Project, birthday parties and receptions, church dinners and baby showers, spiritual formation retreat and financial peace university classes and soon Spanish classes. We think of the neighbor's in need who come in when it's raining or too hot or too cold to spend a day in dry, cool, or warm conditions. We think of our neighbor, Kenneth, who often makes his bed under our stairs outside. We think of the many, many people that we don't know who walk by our building, who drive by, who live in the neighborhood, who watch this building and what we do here. And we ask that for all of these people, both within and without, that you would help us to serve them well, to love one another well, to make decisions even within this very building and for this building that demonstrate your love to all people. Help us, Holy One, to be wise and creative, generous stewards of what you have given us. And we ask this in the name of the one who is most creative and most wise and most generous, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray together. Amen. First Timothy chapter 6. My name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors here. And this evening, uh, usually I'll say uh, that I want us to 
I want us to uh, listen to the Word of God together. But I'd, I'd like you for real to take a Bible if you don't have one, because I'm going to be referencing it throughout our service, uh, and it won't just be on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, somebody would love to bring you a Bible. If you uh, are going to use your phone or a tablet or something, I invite you to do that and keep your thumb there or keep it open. Just raise your hand. Somebody would love to bring you a Bible. We have Bibles in Spanish if your first language is Spanish or if you're trying to practice your Spanish. Um, but I invite, you to re- I invite you to listen to the Word of God out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with, uh, starting with verse 6. And I, I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word for us out of Paul's letter to Timothy. So hear the Word of the Lord for us. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation, are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to eternal life, which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as, as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So my prayer is that the listening of this text and the reading of it is helpful for us so that we might become the kind of people that we confessed just a few minutes ago that we wanted to be. So uh, I'll just tell you how this is going to go. This is not going to be uh, your typical sermon. Instead, I kind of want to preach two small sermons, two shorter sermons, and then hopefully, even though they seem very different, they'll come together in the end. I'll just tell you right off the bat, it may seem a little odd, maybe even a little bit choppy, but uh, we're going to let these sermons be kind of a family conversation. If this is your first time at the H Street Church, welcome to the family. You get to be part of the conversation, okay? So uh, our lectionary passage, uh, our New Testament lectionary passage is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse uh, verse 6 through 19. It's the text that we just 
read a few minutes ago. So this is sermon number one that's coming out of that text, okay? Last week we were reminded that we are being shaped by a larger story that we call salvation history. And in order to understand that greater story, in our worship, what we do is we lean really deep into what's called the lectionary, which is a series of organized readings that, that, that are provided in the scripture. Now we said this as well last week, the churches all over uh, of, and of all types read the lectionary and the lectionary readings take center place in their worship along with the Eucharist. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're Greek Orthodox or Catholic or Anglican or Lutheran or Methodist or Nazarene. We read out of the lectionary text because we recognize that we're being connected to this greater story, but we're also being connected to one another and we're being connected to people all around the world when we read the lectionary. So this is the story that connects us to our, her- to our heritage and it also connects us to one another. I have found that the lectionary readings are very timely for our church and I'm always, I'm always surprised when the readings actually speak life into what's actually happening in the real world. So for instance, last week the lectionary took us to 1 Timothy chapter 2 And we were called to pray for those in authority. We said that this takes courage, but it is the way of Jesus. And I remember saying that we cannot speak prophetically about those who are in positions of power and authority unless we are also in prayer about them. And and wouldn't you know it? The shoe drops, the news of impeachment hits the airwaves... Politically, our country is a total disaster. There's another reason for our country to divide. And we were given this sacred text to pray for those who are in authority. And those in authority in these days absolutely need our prayers. So we lean into the lectionary as it gifts us with good guidance. Well, the lectionary is good for us because what it does is it it, it, it is an overview of the Jewish story and the emergence of the Christian community that came out of that story. And it helps us now in the here and now to connect to that larger story. And I said this week, I, I said this last week, that the lectionary covers all of the essential major parts of the Jewish Christian story over a three year period. So I choose to preach out of the lectionary, but I'll tell you something. Uh, Even though I choose to preach out of the lectionary, here's what I want you to know. Um, Preaching is hard. It is not for the faint of heart. And I don't say that because I'm expecting some sort of pat on the back. I know it's my job. I get paid and everything to preach. But I'm saying that to you because I want you to understand something about preaching that you might not realize. And it's this, when a preacher preaches, it's not just words typed that are being read, but instead, the words are actually embodied. When I preach, and and I'm sure Pastor Mikhail feels this way, as does I'm sure Pastor Andrea when she preaches, or Nick Lee when he comes to preach, or Dr. Caruso as she's preached here before, or Justin Hedges, or Dr. Samples, anyone who has ever preached before, when we preach, if we do it faithfully, we are giving our whole selves to you. We're giving, we're giving ourselves to you, the listeners, the congregation, and 
from time to time, that can be hard. We take the God words of Holy Scripture and we offer them to you as they first have moved through history and time. And and then as these words have been given life over and over and over again by the Spirit of God. And then as they have arrived in us, passed through our minds and our hearts, our souls, and even our muscles. And they're given to you. They are given to you. Uh, they're given to you as a way by which we who are preachers can model the sacrificial act of Jesus. And, and preaching is a spiritual act because it is a, an embodied act. Uh, you have the preacher when the preacher preaches. The best of what I have is given to you, vulnerable and open. Our broken truth-telling selves are on display. And we trust you with us when we preach. I've heard one person say that preaching makes you feel naked, which is not a pleasant thought for either the preacher or the congregation, but it's true because you are free to receive or reject the preacher. You're free to receive or reject the words of the preacher, the intent of the preacher, the heart of the preacher. You can do whatever you want with what you've received, however you want to do it. The preacher can't control that. You can tweet about us. You can judge us. You can, agree, you can agree with us. You can go to sleep on us. You can be furious with us. You can even walk out on us. But do you know what our real hope is? Our real hope is that you will join us. And I think that's the lesson that Paul is trying to teach to Timothy When somebody answers a call to preach, it's an invitation to give themselves away. But but it's that invitation is is not just for preachers. That is for all people of the Christian faith. They are invited to give themselves away. Jesus was clear about that In, in the baptism vows of a new believer. The question is asked, do you now renounce everything that would draw you away from the love of God? That. I'll I'll let you know that takes vulnerability to do that. It takes courage to do that. It might be the hardest thing in the world to give yourself away, to lay aside your agenda. And and Paul says that when you do this, you're, you're not losing who you are, but you are actually becoming who you were intended to be. This is what he means when he says to Timothy, I want you to pursue things that are eternal. Preaching is about giving, is about inviting people to give their lives away with the, with the impossible promise that there is actually a better life ahead. And the reason I say all this to you is because preaching, at least how I view it, is not to give you a set of answers for your daily lives, but in some ways preaching just sets the table so that really amazing relationships can happen. What a preacher does is the preacher will grapple with the biblical text in a way. uh, Grapple with the biblical text as a way to grapple with the God that that text points to. Then the preacher presents that to you, the people of God. And the reason the preacher will do that is for the sake of evoking a, a larger, more beneficial, more beautiful conversation about the way in which we can live this way of Jesus out together. And when... Preaching is done well, it stirs the imagination, it evokes conversation, and it's in that conversation that 
real growth and real transformation happens. So preaching is an invitation to join in. Join us in a conversation about the things that matter. Join us in a dialogue about meaningful things. Join us in the embodied activity that is the self-emptying relationship that comes in Jesus. Preaching is an invitation to see the world differently, to think about the world differently, and to act as if the world could actually be different. And I think that that's what Jesus tried to do as a preacher. He invited. He said, hey, join me, follow me, be a part of me. Let's do this together. It's called relationship. And Paul invites Timothy as he now pastors a new young church to do just that. He says to Timothy, preach in a way that demonstrates true faith, a faith that is eternal, a faith that is rich and beautiful and meaningful. Don't waste your time with frivolous, meaningless, trite kinds of things, Paul says, but instead, get in on the important. And we have a word for that, the get in on the important stuff, and the word is holiness. Holiness is not being better than everyone else. But holiness is actually recognizing that there is an alternative way, a way to step out of the deceit and the lies that are told about us or that maybe we tell ourselves and to step into the wholeness that is God and to step into a whole new world that is God. Holiness is about seeing a better future. It's about having trust in that future. It's about that which is real and good and true and walking into that future together. I think that might be what Paul is doing in these letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy. He's giving an invitation to step out of the rat race, to step out of the pursuit, the old narrative, and, and, and to step out of the lies that you are not good enough, or that you are not wealthy enough, or that you are not successful enough. And he gives the invitation to step into a new rat reality. In other words, he's saying, by God, have the courage to be who you were created to be. This is what I think holiness is. This week, I saw holiness on display in my daughter, Annabelle. Now, I asked her if I could talk about her in a sermon. I don't usually do this. She said yes if I buy her a frozen yogurt at Orange Leaf. Okay, so we have a date. This is a picture of Annabelle. She is embarrassed when I say this, but she is brilliant She's one of the most important, the best things in my life. I'm so proud of her. I love her so much. A couple weeks ago, something disappointing happened, and she found out that she wasn't uh, chosen to play her violin in a concert. Uh, and there's a lot to go with that. But we thought that was all, all of us kind of thought that was kind of weird. So we emailed the teacher to see if we missed a tryout or something. Annabelle it didn't make a lot of sense. She's older than some of the students who were playing, and, and she, we know she's better than, she's the best. She's better than some of the students who were playing. Um, but we got an email back, and uh, she just, without much explanation, she just wasn't chosen. She was one of the few in her friend group that wasn't playing on that day. So um, I think all of us have stories like that where we have felt kind of left out, and if you're a parent, you have stories like this when your kid has kind of felt left out and you are enraged, you know, so. 
But then there are people like Annabelle who teach you things. Because the morning of the concert, I, I was, you know, Annabelle's getting ready for school. And I went and knocked on her door. And she was standing in front of the mirror in her room looking like an 18-year-old, which I didn't like. But, but I said to her, Annabelle, are, are you going to be okay? And she turned to me and she said the most brilliant thing. She said, Dad, I've decided that I'm going to be a person that acts confident even when I don't feel confident. Then you know what she did? She threw her backpack on her shoulder and blew past me down the stairs. I was a few minutes behind her because it took me a little while to pick my chin up off the floor. But I didn't know how the day was going to go, so I picked her up after school. That, and, and so in that afternoon, I picked her up after school, and I said, well, how, how was the day? And honestly, I didn't know if I sh- what I should expect, if I should expect tears or meltdown or something. But again, I had to scoop my chin up off the car floor because she said I was a, it was a good day. I decided to text each of the kids from my orchestra to wish them good luck. Do you know what miraculous thing Annabelle was doing? She was giving herself away and she was pursuing the things that are eternal. She was embracing the virtues that Paul speaks of. She was preaching without a pulpit. By giving herself away, she then found a way to embrace who she truly is, even if she didn't feel it. But then there's even more, and I'm not sure she knows this, and I'm not sure if I knew this. It took me a little bit to think about it. By her text of encouragement to the people in her orchestra, she was actually inviting those who were included when she was not to be the best versions of of themselves. That is walking into the future. And that's what living for eternal things looks like. And I think that is what true holiness, living into the future that God intended and living into the wholeness that God is, is. Another way that we could say it is we we should believe what God says about us is true. But maybe even more importantly, maybe we should believe uh, what God says about our neighbor is true. And that is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to teach. He, he's, te- he's telling him, teach people to pursue this kind of life. It's a better kind of life. And it's a life that lasts forever. And I think that that's what Paul's message is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6-19. through 19, Our lectionary passage is. And I'm really grateful for that message. That, my friends, is sermon number one. Sermon number two, though, uh, is not a lectionary reading, but it is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, earlier in the service, I, I think I said this, that the lectionary covers those parts of the Bible that are most essential. Now, the phrase most essential needs to be qualified. The, the lectionary covers the most essential parts of the Bible as it pertains to the whole salvation story for the church worldwide. But there are some parts of the Bible that the lectionary skips that might not be all of the Bible is essential, but the lectionary skips because it's not the most essential, but just are the essential parts for the church worldwide. So they're, they're skipped by the lectionary. But while they're skipped by the lectionary because they, are, they, they might not be the most essential parts for the church worldwide, 
they, they are the most essential for us because of our particular context and our particular story. So we need to face the facts. And that is this, that uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 19 is wonderful. And we are invited into a life of holiness. But while chapter 6, 6 through 19 is good news for us, is an invitation for us to st- step into a new reality, this, this life of holiness, the passage that precedes it, that the lectionary skips, is 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 through 3. And it is one of the most brutal passages of the New Testament. The great theologian Howard Thurman writes that his grandmother would not allow him to read the letters of Paul because they were words used by white oppressors to enslave his grandparents. And you can see why. Um, Paul says this to Timothy, all slaves should show full respect for their masters so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. If masters are believers, there's no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. These are the words that precede the words that we read earlier tonight. And we need to tell the truth about our own history, uh, I should say me, and we should as a predominantly white congregation. We should tell the truth that white Christian slave owners, and I put that in quotation marks, white Christian slave owners would use this passage to do exactly the opposite of what we see in verses 6 through 19. And instead of giving themselves away so that others would be invited to live into the very best of who they were made to be, They took these words and they used them as weapons. So while the lectionary skips these verses, they are for us here in our context, first here in this country, in the United States, here in Oklahoma City, and here on 8th Street, these should be the most essential ones for us to grapple with. To skip them and the pain that surrounds them and the history that even surrounds these texts is to be silent. And silence is about silence about heinous activities is just as bad as those acts committed. Brian Stevenson, who happens to be a living hero of mine, points this out very well. He, he says that slavery and the enforcement of white supremacy through racial terrorism has been largely ignored as a part of America's history. According to Stevenson, other countries have had to face their racial past. Why not in America? If you go to South Africa, you're required to learn about apartheid. If you go to Rwanda, they insist on talking to you about the genocide. In Germany, there are markers and stones representing the Holocaust. I've lived my whole life and never seen a sculpture that depicts the reality of slavery. And it makes me sad to realize we tolerated that. We've allowed people to be ignorant. We don't teach the history of slavery. We teach the glory of the Confederacy. This is what Stevenson says. And I would make the argument that America is silent because the church has been silent. It's been easy for us to skip over texts like this. 
Dr. King said that the church must be reminded that it is not the master or servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. And if Jiminy Cricket is right and, the con- and our conscience is our guide, then the conscience has failed to do its job. Last week, our text was 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 7, but it was verses 8 through 15 of that chapter, chapter that was the glaring text. That is the passage that people use to oppress women in history. It's what Pastor McHale calls a clobber text. It makes you feel beat up after you read it. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 through 3 is another one of those clobber texts. And it might even be more shocking than the first one from than the one from last week. So as a church that wants to uh, have real conversations and wants to have real relationships, we stay faithful to the lectionary readings, but we won't ignore this one, even if the lectionary does. To ignore it might be our greatest sin because as a country, we won't acknowledge racial inequality. And to skip over a text like this, as brutal as it might seem at first glance, is to act as if America's original sin, which is bigotry and racism, is not an issue when we know that it is. So we gather here to tell the truth. And the truth is this, that for generations, people who have looked like me have used these three verses as a weapon against folks who don't look like me. And then... For just as many generations, we, people who look like me, have failed to acknowledge it. And so I want to ask, the, you know, what is the greater sin? Good, God-fearing people didn't speak out against racism, prejudice, and bigotry as it was being justified in worship spaces and courtrooms and other public places. Or good, God-fearing people don't address the problem text or the problems they've created, but justify it even now. So I sent out a letter this week um, in our e-note, and, and I said these words. We have a high view of the Holy Scriptures, and we have a realistic view of the Holy Scriptures. And I do not want to be a pastor or a preacher that ignores these kinds of texts, even if the lectionary does. I want to get into them. I want to be honest about them. I want to understand them. I want to scream at them. I want to say something about him so that in the end, we might be able to make peace with them and in turn, peace with one another. But I'll confess to you that I am not the expert. I'm the learner. And I have amazing teachers and deep friendships with folks that are so gracious to me, even in my ignorance. I think you all know that uh, Nick Lee, or maybe you don't know this, but Nick Lee has become one of my best friends in the world. And he has invited me into, he's invited me to see a world that I would not know otherwise. His graciousness to me flows from the table of hospitality that Jesus has set before us. And I am, I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful that we have found one another. So because we don't want to ignore texts like this, this week Nick and I will be co-writing a piece on the particular text there in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll be sending out via our newsletter. And if you're not a part of our newsletter, I invite you to go to our website, www.8streetchurch.org. It's the best way that we can communicate with everyone, and I invite you to sign up. So before that, though, I want you to hear this. Nick is willing to write this with me because 
and I do not want you to miss this. He's willing to write this with me because he loves you and he believes in this church. But if courage is on display anywhere, it is on display in the life of Nick Lee as he gives his life away in vulnerability to you and to me, trusting that what he has to say, that we will be faithful with it. And instead of just one person preaching about it, we really want to start a conversation that flows from our worship, that flows from our friendship, that flows from what we believe that God is doing here, through, in, and among us. You know what Nick believes? This is really remarkable. Nick believes that the greater, most essential passages, the very, very most essential passages, are the passages that point to a Jesus that saves us to truth and reconciliation. And so do I. So uh, we're going to give ourselves permission to wrestle with this text, to tell the truth about ourselves. We're going we're gonna to allow ourselves to learn the history of it. We're going to allow ourselves to scream at it, to fight through it. And we're going to allow you to do, we're going to invite you to do that with us as well. So our email that will go out from the church this week will be a continuation of the preached word. And together, he and I are going to offer ourselves to you and we want you to imagine a new way. And we want you to have conversations about it so that together we might be able to embody the way of Jesus as we move forward. So I invite you to, uh, to, I invite you to be looking for that in your inbox this week. Now, I, I really believe that sermon number one is connected to sermon number two. When we give ourselves away, when we are willing to put aside our perspectives, our desires, our impulses, our agendas, and our preconceived notions about others, we do so in the hope that by God we might be a part of something that is greater, something that is more beautiful, something that is more real, something that is more eternal. And it is not because of anything we do, but it is because we are empowered by the Spirit of Jesus himself who could look in the face of the empire itself, which took on the form of Pontius Pilate, and he held fast, hoping and knowing and being secure of the future that was before him. And the future that was before him was resurrection. And the future that is before us is resurrection as well. This is what Jesus did. So he invites us to do the same thing. And he invites us to do this uh, every time we come to the Lord's table. So I'd like to pray for us. And then I want to I read some words to you before you come to this table. Would you pray with me? So God, uh, Son, Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit. We feel that you are moving in our imaginations in our souls, our bodies, even our muscles. This is what we desire. Not because we have the power to do it on our own, but because we are empowered by the Spirit. So we pray that you would give us the strength of God found in Annabelle. We pray that you would give us the strength of Jesus found in our friend Nick. We pray, we pray that you would give us the strength 
of our friends here at the 8th Street Church, that it, the strength of the Spirit that is found uh, when they come vulnerable and courageous. And I pray that you would minister to us as we do this work of stepping into your future together. Give us the ability to do this, to continue on the conversation, to join in in your work so that we might embody hope wherever we go. This is what we remember when we come to your Lord's table every single week. So friends, I want you to listen to these words from Frederick Buchner. He said at the last meal Jesus ever ate with his friends, when the goon squad was already laying for him in the shadows and all hell was about ready to break loose, he says with great confidence, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And he overcame the world by giving himself away. This is the story that we remember every time we come to the Lord's table. It's a story that goes like this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again.